Welcome to Suburban Warrior, the podcast that will impact, inspire, and empower you to transform your mindset and become the badass warrior that you are. I'm your host and fellow warrior, Chrissy Pfeiffer, former clinician and corporate marketing exec turns multi-passionate entrepreneur, performance and life coach, and mom to four not-so-little warriors. Each week, I will bring you honest conversations with inspiring guests to share their stories of resilience, optimism, success, and simple yet effective strategies so that you transform your thoughts and change your behavior to get the results you want in your life. You will be empowered to take action, warrior up, and believe in you. Let's do this. What's up, Warriors? Welcome back to another episode of the Suburban Warrior Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a tasty one. I am super excited to have an amazing restaurateur, Sydney Grimms, with me today. And Sydney is the Director of Business Development at Fearless Restaurants, the group that's responsible for some of Philadelphia's most Instagrammable and not to mention delicious restaurants. After graduating from Cornell University, Sydney started working in New York City, where she clocked 70 plus hours a week. Hard work and putting in the hours wasn't a new concept for Sydney. She has been in the restaurant industry since 12 as a waitress, bartender, and even a laundress at the Four Seasons. And in fact, it's her work ethic that has allowed her to excel in the industry. And that's what it's all about, starting from the bottom. We are going to hear Sydney's story today, and I cannot wait because I am such a fan of all of the fearless restaurants. Welcome to the podcast, Sydney. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously anyone who is around in the Philadelphia mainline area knows about fearless restaurants because there are so many of them and they are all very delicious just, you know, real experiences to go to, the food, the atmosphere, um, every single one of them unique. And so, but, you know, we don't always get to hear about the people behind the restaurants, right? And like For what, sure. you know, makes them get to that way and how much hard work and effort it is. So I'm super excited to hear your story being such a fan of your restaurant. So let's start, you know, back from the beginning, like after college? How did you decide, you know, that this was something that you wanted to do? Yeah. So honestly, when I was in middle school, I started working in the restaurants and I got a taste for honestly, just like making money and I realized that, like, <laughs> making money a lot more than going to school. So I never had the, uh, I, I, when I went to college, I was like, let me just like survive college, <laughs> get yeah. out of here. And I ended up getting two very different jobs. One was in real estate finance and more of an analytical job. And the other was in restaurant operations. And I decided, hey, listen, like if I, I remember exactly where I was and like debating, I was like sitting at the baseball field over at, at Cornell and I was like right off at the hotel school and I was like, okay. Do I take the job that like pays me more money or do I take the job that's going to be harder now, but it's going to have a bigger impact probably later on? And I always knew that I wanted to come back and work with my dad at some point. I just didn't know, obviously, when that was going to be. So I decided to go and work in restaurant operations for a group called Hillstone, which has 
restaurants, most notably called Houston's or Hillstone. Um, they have a restaurant called East Hampton Grill. So I, right after I graduated, I worked for this large family-owned company. They have around 60 restaurants. They grow $600 million a year um, as a family business. So I thought, hey, listen, like if I'm going to go and work for it physically in the restaurants, I want to work for the best family-owned restaurant group in the country. So, so that's what I did. And I, I had the privilege of going and it was kind of like the real world. Like I lived with like 15 other people in a house out in East Hampton and we like were servers and bartenders for the summer, Mm. which was awesome because we were not only being paid salary, but we got to, we got to make tips too. So that was a very, uh, a very fun summer. I remember my first night serving, I, I, I served Carl Icahn, the you know financial billionaire. So that was like hilarious. And then one night I had Bethany Frankel telling me her martini, I wasn't shaking her martini, um, cold enough. So (laughs) I had a, I had a very, interesting time out in the Hamptons. And that was really a fun, fun, fun summer. And then after that, what they ended up doing is they move you into New York City to finish out your intern or not your internship, but like your um, manager training program. And they ended up after the training program staying and being placed in New York City. So it's a little militaristic. Like they put you through all this like grueling work and then they're like, okay, now you're going to move to blank city. And I remember at the time, my uh, my boyfriend at the time was living on Long Island, and I was like devastated and was like, I yeah. can't leave, I can't leave New York, and and I luckily was placed in New York City, which was close to my family. So I stayed there for about four years, rose the ranks there, and then um, I got a job with billionaire Ron Perlman and controlled basically all of the hospitality related to his life. So we fed around a thousand people daily for our family and business, which is called McAndrews and Forbes, which was the, the holding group for all of his investments. And then I took care of all like service related to his life and food. We were kosher as well. So that was like a whole nother thing. Wow. But took care of like all of his food and beverage hospitality related to his life. So that was like 20 homes, the jets, the the yacht. So figuring out how to like get chefs different places, hiring Michelin starred chefs to cook for him. So, so that was a really, really fun job. And then my dad, um, it was kind of like a, a timing thing. And I was really unhappy with my, with work. I just didn't feel like I was getting a lot out of it. And at the same time, I really, it was probably one of the hardest times in my life, which was my relationship of two and a half years, person who I, I was really in love with. Um, things are just not working out. So I ended up, we broke up and I left my job all in a matter of two weeks. And, um, I remember calling my mom after I I left my job and it was around Thanksgiving. And I was like, I'm coming home right now. Like I'm, I'm not in good shape. I need to come home. And I went home for Thanksgiving and I didn't come back to New York. So it was a really, it was a really kind of like drastic move home. It was not what I was anticipating, but all the stars really aligned. My dad at the time was, uh, Penn had approached him to open up Louie Louie or to open a restaurant at Penn. And my dad had talked to me about it in September and was like, Hey, like, do you want to do this? Like, do you want to open a restaurant? And I was like, well, yeah, I do. But like, I have my life here. Like my boyfriend's here, my job's here. My friends are here. And all my best friends are still in New York City. Yeah. And so that was really like, it was a really hard decision. But within a matter of two weeks, I was like, I need to take this leap of faith now. Like my dad's getting older. I don't know how many more restaurants. He said Autograph is going to be his last restaurant. So <laughs> when, when he got approached for this, I was kind of like, okay, like I need to, I need, 
I remember discussing this with my, my then boyfriend and being like, I, I don't know, but I think I need to move home. So it was a pretty drastic move in the matter of two weeks, like finding a subletter for my apartment. But it all, I truly, truly, truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And one of the reasons I believe that was because my cousin's girlfriend at the time was also, she was looking for an apartment in New York City. And it was just the perfect storm of, hey, like her moving into my apartment, she was like, actually became one of the best, like best friends with my then roommates. And so everything really worked out for a reason. So it wasn't pretty at the time moving home. Um, I was probably at the saddest I ever was in my life, but it was the right move for me, for my career. Yeah. And it's really funny how life does that to you, right? It's like, it's, it's rarely that like one thing happens, right? It's like totally the job, the boyfriend, you're just like everything. It comes in threes. It, yes, comes it in always threes. does. It comes in threes. But I feel like to your point, it's definitely for a reason, because even though you didn't realize it then, you know, all of these things happening to you at once sort of not forced you, but, but in a way forced you to, you know, move home, be with your family and with the timing of the opening of Louis Louie and, and doing that. And now here you are, you know, business. Yeah, Chrissy, I have to tell you, I wouldn't, I would not have moved home probably for another four years if that had not forced me to do it. Yeah, no, I'm you know? sure. I, 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 exactly. I truly would not have moved home. So, And I it probably that- wouldn't have been one thing that happened that, you know, if one of those things had happened, you probably still wouldn't have moved home. It was probably exactly. just like, you know, all of the events happening at once. And, you know, at the time you can't see it. And obviously you're just devastated because we've all been there, right? But like, here you are now looking back, you can see that it really was the best oh, thing for you. Yeah. Hindsight is always 2020. It's like it at really that time, is. I literally thought like my world was imploding. And I would say that I felt in a way like a failure because I was giving up on New York City and I hadn't gotten to maybe the place where I wanted to be buying an apartment and getting married. And and I really learned from that experience. It's like, you, you really can't dictate your life. You just ha- kind of have to let it go and be in the, in, in the hands of the powers of being. Um, and really in whatever you believe in, whether that's God, whatever, um, you really have to trust the process, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Bring in another Philly term, trust the process. But, um, but let's talk about that for a second, because I think you're, you're young. So you, you graduate from college, you go and you, you do all the things you, you work, you know, your butt off and you put in all this time and you learn the business and you're in New York city but then when it's time to leave because of all of these events that have happened, you know, you're sad and you're feeling depressed and you're, like you said, you're feeling like a failure. But, you know, is that because of the expectations that we put on ourselves? Is that because of the absolutely. expectations? Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. And I think that that's been like, <laughs> I feel like for the past, like five to six years, I think that that's been like the, the biggest like learning experience that I have had has been there's so many expectations I think that we put on ourselves when, when it comes to kind of like hitting milestones based on years of your life. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm 31 now. I would have thought that 10 years ago, I would have thought, oh, I'd be married and I'd be pregnant or I'd have a kid. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, that's not what has happened. And that ha- that's had to take a lot of like self-acceptance of like, hey, like it will happen when it happens. And really doing a lot of like deep diving to feel comfortable with that. Because I think that our whole lives, 
growing up here, especially like you go to a good school, you go to college, like there are really big milestones associated with ages. Um, yeah. And that was something that was really hard for me to grapple with, especially with um, the expectations of, I really, I had this like goal in my mind of being in New York for 10 years, because once you say you're in New York for 10 years, you're a New Yorker. And I, I really didn't expect to leave New York at 26, you know? So it sounds funny, but I think that at that point in my life, Sure, I had failed with a. Trust me, I had failed with a lot of things, but I think that that. that but I think that that really had boiled down to one of those kind of like internal pressures that I felt for myself of what being successful meant at that time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and I think that we do that, you know, to ourselves really throughout our life. You know, like have these expectations of what we think we're supposed to be doing based on societal norms or based on, totally. you know, just the expectations that we put on ourselves. And I think that it, based on social can, media as well. Oh, you know? totally. Oh my gosh. It's made it so much worse from like, from the time when I grew up, cause I'm not 31. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I just turned 48, but I, you know, we didn't have that pressure of the social media and for everything to just, you know, look so happy and so wonderful all the time. Because as we know, that's just not, not, not how life goes. Exactly. (laughs) Not how life goes. So, um, so I think that that's really amazing that, you know, honestly, at 31, you're able to kind of have that perspective and look back and realize that like, okay, you know, this, this is all happening for a reason. You know, I put these false expectations on myself. So, you know, I'm going to shift it now and I'm going to focus on, on me and myself and, and feeling great about me and the choices I make. So for people that, you know, might be going through that right now, whether it's, you know, they could be, you know, going through whatever life change it may be, but having sort of false expectations, what is one piece of advice that you could give them that maybe something that worked for you? throughout that process as you were going through it that helped you realize like, you know what, I just really need to shift my perspective or I need to mm-hmm. focus on this habit or, or something mm-hmm. that helped mm-hmm. you in that process. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, it was finding a group of, for me, I'm extremely extroverted. I like to be surrounded by friends. And I think the biggest soul crushing thing for me was just not having my friends physically with me at the time. I had gone from living in a sorority with 45 girls, living in New York City with four people. So when I think I moved, when I moved back to Philadelphia, finding your, your group, so to speak, women who are really going to challenge you. And I joined a organization, which I felt like I was surrounded by like-minded people. And they were all very, very different from me, different walks of life. You know, most of them were actually moms probably in their 50s and 60s other another one was a nun who was in her 80s who I became friends wow. with and awesome. um and I think that I found a group of women who had like-minded values and we basically did a study together and that's how I really kind of uh, I felt like I was living my true who I was meant to become if that makes sense rather than the lifestyle of the rich and famous, so to speak, in New York City. So I think that there was a lot of personal growth when I came home of kind of like unlearning habits when I was in New York. One of them being like, I became very snappy and I'm still a very intense person. But I think (laughs) one of the things was my tone just became really ridiculous. 
So I think that that was one of the biggest things that I felt like if you're in that kind of a spot, finding a group where you can learn, not just talk, but learn from other people. Yeah. I love that piece of advice because I think honestly, finding a community and, and finding people that you can surround yourself with that can lift you up, um, but also that are different than you, right? I mean, in life, I feel like like seeks like. So a lot of times, um, Absolutely. you know, our circle is very, are people like us, which is great. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's so amazing. And so uh, there's so much growth when you can sort of get out of your comfort zone and maybe join a group that you typically, you know, wouldn't find your friends joining or, you know, find mentors that are different than you um, because you really find so much growth in that and in surrounding yourself with a community of people like that. It's awesome. I love that. Absolutely. The biggest thing is when, when living in New York, I really realized that I was friends with people based off of convenience, right? So there, I've learned that there's two, three different types of friends. Um, one, which is convenience, which are people that are in your common circle, maybe that it's easy to run to the gym with. And this is actually something that I learned from these group of women. One was convenience. So friends that, so it's friends of convenience, people that you run into at the gym, people maybe that you're at work with. Then you have friends based off of virtue, people that will challenge you to be better. And when you heal, hear things, that um, maybe you don't necessarily want to hear from friends, but will challenge you to be better people. And then the third, which is friends based off of kind of maybe friends that you've been friends with from childhood. So they're childhood yeah. friends. Right. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're w- they are where you are at in your time of life as you get yeah. older. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of important to have all three. Right, it, a nice little mix of of community that we can um, surround ourselves with, and absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think the like when you are coming back or you're joining community, really ingratiating yourself in that community is very important. Joining different like clubs, organizations, or Facebook groups, or meetup groups, whatever it is, can really help you. Obviously, so tell us about so you move back you know, from New York City, you decide to take on this challenge and start um, working with the family business. Uh, I think Louie Louie was your first restaurant, I believe. But tell us like, because I know you sort of had to make a shift in the whole family business to really, you know, m- modernize it in a way and and change Absolutely. it, right? Because change is never easy, but change is necessary. So tell us what that was like for you as, you know, you're still a young woman coming from New York City. You have experience under your belt, but here you are with this new challenge. How How did you, you know, really face that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the best things, honestly, my dad is incredibly, being an entrepreneur, you're used to change and you want change um, and you welcome it. And I think that that is something that he really embraced with me coming on board was he was willing to change, willing to listen to new ideas. And I think that if I had come to a family business that was not willing to change, it would have been a very different, it would have been a different outcome, honestly, because I have friends who um, have moved home and have joined family businesses, and honestly, it hasn't gone well. And um, this this one individual, he actually uh, left his family business and is now working for another person's family business. 
And, uh, and it was, it was purely because his family was not willing to kind of adapt and change and, and grow. And so I think that that's something that my dad did really well was giving me a lot of autonomy to make decisions and to mess up. I mean, there were certainly times where I made calls that were not the right calls, but he allowed me to make those calls, which I think was really important. Yeah. That's totally important, Uh, right? That's how we learn. It's awesome. Absolutely. And so I, I ended up uh, Louie Louie was the, the reason why I was moving home was we, we had this opportunity to open this restaurant. But really, um, when I came home, uh, opening a restaurant takes probably around two years from start to finish. So I had a kind of like a year gap in between to figure out and to, to make improvements. And one of, one of those was um, rebranding the Mishulu and really bringing that to its full potential with um, the Deck Philly, which is outdoor dining and really reinvigorating special events there and the the rebrand of it to attract not only you know baby boomers and gen x but really getting into millennials as they were coming into their you know largest spending time so to speak you know in your 30s 40s that's when your your earning potential is the highest and i saw that we had a large opportunity for capturing that audience which we hadn't before so I worked on that for a year and that was really my first baby, so to speak, prior to Louis Louis. That's awesome. And that really was successful, right? I mean, what you, by adding the deck to Mushalu, it really did attract those millennials that you were hoping to. Absolutely. Um, I think that for us, we were in a spot where Mushulu was a place where people perceived it as just going there for a special occasion or as a destination rather than using it more for really any occasion. You know, you wanted to go for happy hour, you could go. You wanted to go for a late night event, you could go. You wanted to go for a wedding, you could go. You wanted to go for your rehearsal dinner, you could go. So there's so many reasons to use it. And I think that it became incredibly successful to the point where we ended up having to add more managers. We brought on um, four people, three people in their private event department. Um, so we really grew grew the business that way. And it's it's now our top grossing restaurant. Oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How many, how many restaurants are actually in Fearless Group? Yeah. Yeah. So we have we have ten, technically 12 restaurants. We have 10 restaurants, um, a hotel, a hotel property that we own down in Miami that we're silent partners in. And then okay. we have two restaurants currently under development, which is the white dog in Chester Springs, um, which will open the end of 2023. And then uh, Rosalie uh, in Glen Mills, which is actually in the same parking lot as the, the white dog in Glen Mills in Britain Lakes, which will also open the end of 2023. So we will oh be gosh. having, tw- yeah, we'll be having twins. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. And I, I love, I love them all. So you know, what is my, I'm curious, you know, being a woman, being uh, the head of business development for such a large organization that is really pretty visual and public because restaurants uh, obviously are pretty, you know, out there and everyone sees what's happening. Tell me one of the challenges that you faced um, as you were sort of taking on this role and, you know, starting these new restaurants. I think that I really had to come in and prove my worth, so to speak, and earn my stripes. And I think that that's what the Mishulu project allowed me to do prior to doing Louie Louie. So I think that 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 allowed me to, yeah, to really earn my stripes. I think with the people who have been, I mean, my dad has created a really incredible culture within within our organization. 
and we have not had a lot of turnover with our our senior managers. So we have people who have been with us for 25, 35 years and to really earn their respect. And I think I needed to do that. Not, you know, I couldn't be, when I first approached it, I wanted to be the loudest person in the room and to have the biggest opinion. And I quickly realized that that was not gaining, you know, loyalty, so to speak. So I really had to kind of change my approach and just put my head down and and work. And I think that that's what the, the deck at Mishulu really proved to everybody was reinvigorating that concept. And they saw the financial gains of that. And I think that that's really how I won my stripes, so to speak. I think that that was probably the hardest thing was these people who, you know, who are, who are much older than me and who have been with him loyally for, for many years and, and earning their respect. I think that that was one of the, the biggest challenges. I think the other biggest challenge was learning to take feedback from people who I've known my entire life. I think that that yeah. was really hard. People who have known me since I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there was definitely a perception like, oh, she's like my little sister rather than coworker. And so I think that like bridging that gap and really like understanding the culture that I was moving into was a much healthier culture than the two previous companies that I came from. So I was, I was a very, I would say very like defensive and very like throw people under the bus kind of mentality from the two companies prior that I came from. So to come to, into a culture that was much more easygoing and accepting, I think that it was very challenging for me. Wow. That's interesting. Um, I think it's really, you know, not always very easy to adapt to new cultures, um, but especially coming in, you know, like you said, family business, coming in at the position you were coming in, really trying to earn your stripes. I think it's um, it's great that you recognized pretty early on that the culture was different and it was you were going to have to sort of change how you were used to working in order to work with these people. Because that's, you know, that's the case a lot of the times. I mean you know, we just have to be adaptable, right? For sure. For sure. I think that it's important to identify people when you're joining a new organization who can kind of be your cheerleaders and your mentors and approaching it from that perspective of, Hey, I want to learn from you. Clearly I'm not doing something right here. Can you teach me? Um, that's, it's not a new concept, right? But I think that when you're actually acting it out yourself, it's, it's incredibly humbling. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. Um, so I love all of the restaurants. I think they're so amazing. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> Every, everybody always asks me this. Yeah, right. Like, so I mean, it's it's like picking a favorite child. I'm sure yeah, it's literally. not easy to my, do. But my dad would say, "What whatever one is the most profitable." But I would say <laughs> the, the one that I enjoy. The uh, I, I think that it, it. I think that it really boils down to t- the teams at the stores and which one do I enjoy working with the most? I, there's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say, but I, I would say that I love the food at Rosalie. I just think it's incredibly special. And I really love that you can go there and have, you know, pizza or I can have shakshuka for brunch, or you can go there for a lot of different reasons. And it's right yeah. down the road from my house. So I would say that that's probably the, the favorite child at the moment. Oh, I love it. And the atmosphere is absolutely beautiful. And the lounge is incredible. I love the um, lounge. Like yes. going and listening to music on a Friday or Saturday night and just some light bites or like finishing your night off. Maybe you had dinner somewhere else and you go to listen to music and grab some dessert. Like it, yeah. it kind of can add some like fun to the main line when it feels totally. like a little sleepy on a Saturday night, you know? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I love the vibe there. It's, it's really, it, it is a very special place. And then you drive like two blocks down to White Dog and it's just this like, again, beautiful, but very different in a different way with White Dog and every room looking different. And um, the food is just incredible. And it's, it's such a warm atmosphere. So I just, I love how all of the restaurants are just so different mm. um, and very special in their own way. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and for sharing your story. Because again, like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, you know, as we get to go in and enjoy all this delicious food and wonderful service and amazing atmosphere, but you know, we, we forget, I think about how much work goes into running these restaurants and the food being delicious and then sort of running like the well-oiled machines that they, they run like. And I, I really do feel like they are just that well-oiled machines that really create special experiences for anyone who goes there. And, you know, let's be honest, when we go out, I mean, I feel like post COVID, like anytime anyone goes out, like you just want to have a good time. <laughs> you want good exactly. food, good drinks. And exactly. you want to be, yeah. And you want to be exactly. with the great people and have a great time. And I think all the fearless restaurants really um, do just that. So congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations on all of your success. Me. Of course. Of course. So I would encourage all my listeners um, and, you know, around the Philadelphia and Mainline. And for those that aren't, check them out online at Fearless Restaurants. And you can find Sydney. Sydney, where can they find you on social? Yeah, just Sydney Grimms is my handle on Instagram. Awesome. Well, we will link that in the show notes for everyone who wants to follow along on the journey with you. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. It was thanks, so great Chrissy, to hear your thanks story. Thanks for having me. You Talk got you it. Soon. All right, guys, thanks for joining. We will see you next time for another episode of the Suburban Warrior Podcast. 